Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 84. I uh, am back in the saddle after a nice long summer break. It's been a time, eh? Wow. What a season 2020 has been this year. I've spent a lot of time resting, a lot of time listening, a lot of time recovering, uh, really tuning into how broken my heart has been at uh, the state of the world, at COVID, at the uh, lived reality of so many of my brothers and sisters of color around the world. So I'm excited to share this interview with you today. It is with some good friends of mine, Mark and Trifina Gagnon. They live here in Guelph. They are a mixed race couple, and I asked them to come on and share some things about their life. Uh, in in many ways, I, I feel like there's a temptation to be like, oh, mixed race, that's super normal now. We don't really even need to talk about it. But the more I spend time with them, the more I hear stories that I just I wouldn't otherwise hear. I hear about experiences of people that are close to me, people that I care about that I wouldn't know. I hear about pain that I wouldn't know about. I, I do believe it's very important to listen to people's stories that are different from our own. It helps us build compassion. It helps us see. It helps us understand uh, God and ourselves better. So this is a really open and, and honest conversation. Uh, Mark shares a lot of things that he's learned painfully over the last little bit and uh, things they're unlearning and, and especially as it relates to the Canadian context. So uh, this is fun. Just before we get into that, I want to share some big, big news with you. My devotional, You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You, is now available for pre-order. You can buy it from Amazon and paperback and Kindle, as as well as Apple Bookstore and lots of other uh, outlets. Uh, Head to jonathanpuddle.com slash you are enough with hyphens in between, or just go to jonathanpuddle.com, or just check the show notes and you'll find it. Go grab a pre-order. There's a bunch of sweet bonuses for anyone who pre-orders. You'll see all that there on my website. So excited to be able to finally share this with the world. Anyway, uh, let's tune into my conversation with Mark and Trifina again. Uh, What I thought would be a, a useful start would be maybe for each of you to give us a little bit about your kind of ethnic and cultural background, what are some of your just, what it, what, what builds up your worldview? And then, I know that sounds like a huge question. Let's not say worldview. Let's just say, give us a bit of your upbringing, uh, your family background, some of your story and, and how you guys ended up uh, together. It's good. Cool. Go ahead, love, you go first. So I'm French Canadian. And uh, my parents, born and raised in Quebec, they met on a double date. They were actually dating other people. And at the halftime, or whenever a half, I don't know, I've never been to a horse race, like a real one. So like the halftime, I don't know what that is, but apparently the guys in the bathroom were kind of like, I like your date. Well, I like yours. And they swapped. And so that's how my parents got together. Um, And so all our family's French Canadian, but I was born and raised in Toronto. Um, All of our family, which... I'd say is pretty reflective of Quebec are non-Christians. In fact, mostly atheists have no uh, need for God. Um, as one of my uncles says, Quebec has moved beyond God. Uh, and so my parents were in that same boat uh, as most French Canadians where they had some sort of Catholic background. Every curse word in the language has to do with the Catholic church. Um, and my mom actually, it was her sister sent her a cassette uh, and she heard a testimony of a guy who I learned was actually a minister in Guelph originally. Oh, trail. But anyways, uh, came to faith, started taking my dad to church, and he came to faith. And I grew up uh, going to a Christian Missionary Alliance church in Toronto. So French Canadian parents, first generation Christians. And that's where I met my bride. And she'll tell you a bit about hers. Yeah. So my family is Indian. So my parents are both born and raised in India. My dad was born into like a nominally Christian home. My mom had a Muslim father and a Christian and a Hindu mother, which itself was like radical in that time. They were both doctors. It's a love marriage. It was a whole um, thing. But so then she grew up figuring out what her identity was. Her dad passed away when she was really young. And in that process of grieving, 
Jesus met her in just a really radical way. And so she came to faith, um, met my dad and long story short, they ended up in Canada, um, which is where I was born in Toronto specifically, which I feel like itself is a really interesting dynamic because growing up in Toronto, it's such a multicultural space that based on where you are in Toronto, you don't realize that you're the other. Mm. That has been just an interesting journey for me, being, um, just finding my place in that. Um, but yeah, so born and raised in Toronto to Indian parents and met Mark at church. And our church was a very multicultural space in the sense that there were like dozens of different nations represented, which was really beautiful. Um, I think it was about 75. Yeah, it was, that, it was yeah. just an incredible way to, to just see the world as it should be. Um, yeah. Now, our worlds came very close to one another somewhere in those years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, Mark and I never met, no. I don't think, at least not to our knowledge, nor Trifina, but I went to that, I went to the youth group put on by that same church yep. uh, for about a year. And so, so we actually then grew up in, in like, in, did, did you both grew up in Rexdale then those years? Were you living there or? I grew up in Scarborough and then moved to a part of North York and then we, which was close enough to Rexdale and we moved to Rexdale and we got married. Yeah. But similar dynamic. Got it. Control makeup. Yeah. 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 So one of the things that I found fascinating, like you, you just said, Trifina, that depending on where you live in Toronto and I guess what you're, and even that is so specific because if you live in one corner of one street on one floor of an apartment building can be a very different experience from elsewhere. Absolutely. I, I remember, you know, I mean, I went to, I went to TCI for high school right across the road from the church and it was not uncommon to be the only white kid in some of my high school classes, mm -hmm. Yeah, which was, yes. which was cool and great. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I feel like, I feel like there's this Canadian narrative that says because we embraced multiculturalism, that was kind of like our vaccine against racism. So mm -hmm. we don't have racism because we chose to welcome everybody like in the sixties. And uh, now we just celebrate everyone. And so let's talk about something else. Yeah. 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 Which I think is such a, is the flawed thought process itself because yes, we've welcomed multiculturalism in so many ways, but I feel like we've done that in a way to like, I, I sorry. I was talking to my brother about this really recently and we had this conversation of how so often as Canadians, we compare ourselves to, to those in the States and we're like, oh, well, at least it's not as bad as it is there, whatever that means. But I feel like that's almost not looking at the log in our own eye and saying, well, there is a lot that is still happening here. Like there has been slavery here. There's been incredible harm that we've done to indigenous people groups and there's still racism that happens here, but we somehow, it, we, we pat ourselves on the back because we're like, oh, it's not as bad as it is over there. So we're okay. but there's still police brutality here. There's still like just nuances um, of prejudice that happen here all the time that we have experienced and witnessed to um, just that. Yeah. Yeah. You told me the other day that you were outside your house with the kids and someone oh, said something goodness. weird to you. Yes. So I, I was saying to you, like growing up in Toronto, it wasn't that I never had to come to terms with my brownness because I think everybody has to own their race at some point, right? I grew up in Scarborough, but even in Scarborough, I was in a small Christian school. I was still one of the only people of color there. And I had to come, like, I remember sitting in grade three in our youth group in a church that was multicultural and being like, Jesus, like, if you just made me like white, blue hair or like blue eyes, blonde hair, like it would change all of my problems. Not that there were really any problems, but that was like, as an insecure grade three child who was in a multicultural space, I still noticed that I was the other. I still felt different because my family was different. Our culture was different. My way of interaction was different. Our food was different, whatever that was, right? So I still had to own my race, but it was not until I came to Guelph, where we are now, which is still a very diverse city, that I really had to own or just come to terms with the fact that I look different than so many people and, or that it's acknowledged. Cause maybe in Toronto, because at least multiculturalism is so prevalent, we don't always talk about it or you're not going to call it out on 
as evidently, but so yeah, as I was saying to you, recently I was outside our house and I was talking to someone, we were just shooting the breeze about the weather. We've been in like a heat wave this summer. And I was like, oh yeah, it's so hot today. And they're like, yeah, but your skin doesn't feel heat, does it? It was like, um, like, no, my skin feels heat. But they're like, but your skin's like that because you're in the sun all the time. I'm like, no, it's because of my genetics. But yeah, because of like your ancestors, like they were in the sun, right? Because like my family, if we're in the sun, we're almost just as dark as you. And I was just, I was so flabbergasted in that moment because I'm like, how do I even begin to have this conversation with you? And I have our two young kids with me, like being like witness to this. And I didn't feel like it was a moment that I could educate because it didn't feel like a conversation that the person was openly asking for education. Um, it was just a moment that they were walking by and they were about to move on. And, but it's just, it struck me how much some people, sometimes people will still look at me and be like, oh, like you're the other, like you're different than me. So I need to point it out, ask about it. We were at the waiting pool also in the last couple of weeks and somebody stopped me and they're like, how did you get your skin to look like that? It's like, you mean like the skin that I was born in? Like, I'm just so perplexed, but it's been a very interesting space, especially recently this summer, which is what, like, I, I think it's amazing. The conversation about race and anti-racism has come to the forefront, but it has definitely, I think, also unleashed people who have kept their prejudices silent for so long. It's somehow given them permission to... I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's in, in many ways it is it as a culture, we're actively fighting racism, but it's also given people who have prejudice now speak louder as well, which is perplexing and frustrating. Certainly if we talk about conversations about race, then there's going to be some partners to that conversation that might have things to say that we don't want to listen to. For sure. Uh, the beauty of living in a place that values freedom of speech when sometimes yes. Yeah. Uh, did you deal, did you guys, what about in your, in your dating and, and your marriage and your early uh, relationship? Was, we you ever had to wrestle with any of those things around owning your color, owning your race? Um, so it's interesting that in some ways, kind of growing up in Rexdale, we, we, I think we once like did the game of like, how many couples do we know that are same race? And it was two. And it was like a dozen of our close friends that were mixed race. It was the oddity to not be an interracial couple. So in some ways we kind of thought of it and we thought, yeah, like this is the normal. It's, it's, it, but then I think, especially in what's happened this summer, we've had a lot of conversations about kind of looking back and realizing there are things that weren't normal. Um, I don't know if you remember this conversation yeah. we had, but like, uh, sometimes we'd go out for dinner with another mixed race couple. So we have, uh, good friends of ours. She's Dutch. He's um, from Sri Lanka. And uh, when they bring us the bills, we're like us, the split bills, even though I'm sitting next to Trefina with my arm around her, they put me and the Dutch girl on the same bill. Oh, wow. Small things. We travel with Trefina's family. Um, I'm the poor ministry guy and, and, you know, her family's well-educated and, and not to say, sorry. <laughs> but anyways. Oh my gosh. But it'd be amazing that we'd walk into a place and they'd ignore Trefina's family and they'd come to me ready to serve me. Um, so we'd have those kind of experiences. We'd go through certain border checkpoints and I'd be sent alone and like, just, you know, by instructed by Trafi and his relatives, don't mention that you're married to her or engaged to her, depending on the seasons of life. Um, so it's interesting that we just kind of look back and just see the different prejudices and the preferential treatment, uh, which was so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. Like when we first started dating, I remember like close friends who were South Asian being like, how'd you get a white guy? And it's like, what do you mean? How did I get a white guy? But it was, it was both. It was like, one, you're bringing someone new into our culture or two, there's still like, so all like every culture has their stuff, right? Indian culture definitely has shadism. And I think being part of a colonized nation for so long, there's definitely a mentality that white can be right. And so it's like, well, how did you get the prized white guy? And I'm like, well, let me tell you how messed up my prized like white guy is, right? But <laughs> please, please tell me more. No, no, next <laughs> question, next question. <laughs> but it was just, it was interesting um, in that sense. Oh, I just, yeah. So yeah, it was just, it was interesting to see the way people would respond to us and react to us. Um, our families were amazing. They were 
absolutely phenomenal about like wanting to embrace both cultures. I think if like I'm completely honest, there is without realizing it, like I think my parents specifically always had the, like like their heart's desire was like we marry someone who has the same faith and like value status as right. And that is like who Mark is, absolutely. But I think there's something that like you as an individual or as a family grieve that you're not going to marry someone who speaks the same language as you. Like there is a little, like there was a, it was you're like- You're not gonna sit down for afternoon tea with your in-laws and speak the same language and talk about growing not up. Not that my family doesn't all speak English, but yeah. Like no, 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 but you know, you talk about how they grieve that being able to speak in- Yeah, yeah, or and like, and I think like, we haven't carried that on with our kids because of that, right? But yeah. other, but- You know, my children were not even born in Canada. Yeah. And we haven't continued the language to them. And I'll go to the park and the Polish people are speaking Polish with their children and the Russian people are speaking Russian with their children. And many of those people, families have been here for two or three generations already. Mm -hmm. So I can certainly see that there, there's probably an, an ease or a logic or even just a social cultural family momentum Mm -hmm. to marrying within your culture and the ability to continue elements of that culture down the generations. Mm -hmm. I didn't learn Finnish while we lived in Finland. And certainly if I had, it would be more likely that we would have continued that language with our children. Uh, Do you do anything intentionally to create space for those cultural celebrations do you trifina do any like do you intentionally get your french canadian on and eat poutine and and make a big deal out of it or like whatever or vice versa for you mark we have potatoes in our house that is a big deal (laughs) big deal (laughs) so when we got married trifina discovered she had a gluten allergy but so much of the indian diet is rice based even their flour chickpea flour she had no idea she had a gluten intolerance until she married the sandwich eater. Um, and so there's now bread and potato. Potatoes is still even 10 years of marriage and we don't often have potatoes because Shavina really doesn't see the point of them. Um, but yeah. I don't, I don't know how your friendship with my wife, I don't know what the basis of your friendship is if it's not potatoes. <laughs> I know, I know. I've never met a woman who loves potatoes more than my wife. It's hilarious. Yeah. When you guys were over, we had to have potatoes for your kids and rice for our kids. Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's so true. It's so true. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think Trevina has done, I say Trevina because she's uh, done such an incredible job with our kids of having so much uh, culture, cultural experiences, and also education. Like I was, I, I remember the first time I came home and I, one of our, I think our oldest was maybe two and a half and Trevina was reading books about race and ethnicity and I was like what are you doing like and I literally said one of the now what I know is is a myth having read more and read statistics but like I'm like kids don't notice color like why are you putting this now he's gonna know but like he's just happy being with anyone and it was Trevina who said I mean actually like Mark like statistics say kids choose their playmate playmates by race by the age of three like this is so critical that they become aware of it and so I think you've been incredible at having those conversations and talking about it uh, from as young as our kids can understand it, because the reality is they are aware of it. Um, But there are things that I never, as a Caucasian, had to think about. Um, And I think, you know, especially this year, we've been having conversations for over a decade, but this year being so much more aware of what it's like for you and even now our kids to step into an environment where they are the other me never having felt that way, it's a whole different um, perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think our desire is like you want, like at all parents, you want to set your kids up with like the best toolbox to kind of go into the world, right? And so in terms of the fact that like we're raising interracial children, like you were asking earlier about, do we get our French Canadian on? Like, I think we've always desired to really celebrate both cultures in our house. So whether it be through food and like often there is a lot more like in, like South Asian food um, in our house. Because it's better. But, but, <laughs> quiche, but you know, like. Yeah, but quiche what? But quiche, but quiche like, what? The kids of. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Like I can acknowledge when we've been trumped and gosh. <laughs> <laughs> quiche versus 
all the foods of India. <laughs> and listen, like our kids have no need to be polite. Like they just vote with their mouths. Like the quiche stays on the plate. <laughs> I'm not gonna go down this road. You're, I don't, I don't wanna go after your mom. This is <laughs> so poor, okay. Yeah, like all jokes aside, I think, I think food is a big part of it. Like our kids absolutely like will eat foods of all ethnicities and I think it's beautiful. Um, but just we want them to be like people of the world. So we that we want that to be in their toolbox that they're able to engage on different levels. We want them to be able to celebrate different cultures, especially their own. This um this upcoming Saturday is Indian Independence Day. I forgot, but our oldest reminded me because they were singing the Indian National Anthem this afternoon. Like they have such a pro like a pride, not only for their Indian side, but for their French Canadian side. We specifically have yeah. him in a French like immersion school for that reason. And he loves like calling his grandmother and like going back and forth in the little language like he has. So we've really desired to like honor and celebrate the cultures and show them what it's like just to celebrate people in general because we're complex beings and there's different parts to all of for our two kids part of that complexity is they are biracial but there are so many other beautiful facets to celebrate but um even on that note like we've been talking about this as friends just even as mark kind of alluded to earlier like as young as our kids are it's definitely something they have noticed and they're having to come to just or grapple with their own racial makeup um we were like last summer we were having a conversation and Grayson's like mama you're too dark I'd rather look like papa like I don't want such dark people in our house why are you so dark the stamp doesn't show up on your skin the same way I want to look like papa and then he kind of like went through the list of close friends of ours who were like darker and he's like and that person looks dark and that person looks dark and to me it was a heartbreaking moment because it was it's definitely not an ideology we have taught in our home but we were one now living in an environment in an environment where most of the people he was, was seeing look very different than him they were all a lot lighter than him and they're beautiful and they're made in Jesus's image but they're different from him and so he was already beginning to create in his mind what an ideal was and it's more complicated for him because his father is white right and so understandably like he wants to grow up and be his dad um but he looks different than him so then we have to have a whole bunch of conversations about his body and like loving like the skin his skin and the different shades that god has created us in and all of that so fast forward a year and um, a couple months we're sitting on the couch and we were reading a book and he'll, he looks at me and he's like do you think that papa is scared of me or loves me less because i'm so dark because i'm darker than kaya and it was this heartbreaking moment for me that he had won. Like he's created a difference between him and Mark, but he also, he knows that he's darker than his sister. And he, he's already starting to see that like, we'll be in, you know, situations and people will be like, oh my goodness, your daughter is so fair, which like already I have such a, like a problem with that, but he's already noticing the different reactions that she gets. And he's noticing that people do fear or love people less who are dark. And part of it was we have talked through different stories and we've read different books on different like civil rights movers and shakers and people of our time. Um, but he's starting to relate that to his own life. And it's heartbreaking to watch him make these discoveries, but also really empowering. To, and like, I'm grateful he's at least asking the questions we're, we're there to be able to, you know, set the record straight and love on him. Um, but also see him begin to want to be an activist in his own way so because he he's starting to understand it a little bit more like we took him to the the black lives matter protest here in guelph and that itself was a discussion because it was you know in the height of COVID. but we really felt because he was beginning to ask the questions and he was noticing it he was noticing that people will call me out on this like you know will say different things to me and he'll stop and he'll be like mama why would they say that to you so we felt like we needed to show him that there is something you can stand up and do and so one of his favorite books right now is Rosa Parks and how she stands up and she says, enough is enough. And so when he wanted to make his poster for the protest, he was like, I'm going to let it say enough is enough. And so that's what he did. And he'll continue to talk about it. We did a date this week and he was like, mama, do you remember that protest where we said enough is enough? 
I think we need to stand up and fight. And so it was a conversation of like, well, what does it look to, look to stand up and fight? And when do you stand up and fight? Um, but it's, yeah, it's so complicated as a parent to want to celebrate their racial diversity, to also want to build them up in a way that, you know, they don't stand out too much in the world. Like that sounds bad to say, but you know, if I'm honest, um, but to also be empowered and to be people who, leave the world better you know they came in so yeah it's definitely a journey how about for you mark how do you i mean i know that you're theoretically more in the office whenever people used to be in offices do you remember that yeah um, are you privy to as many of those conversations i assume not as many as trifina is but how does that work with with your interactions with the kids then yeah um so I think I was saying a bit earlier, but really it's been, it's been so eye-opening for me to think that my kids are going to have a very different upbringing than I did because I, I had the privilege of not having to go through things or have questions asked of me or have to face things that I'm already seeing them have to face or wrestle with or not. You know, we had a, we hired a, a babysitter the other day who's mixed race. And for our son to, to stop and just be like, mama, he looks like me, right? Like there was just this, and I'm like, I've never, I've always had people who are older than me that looked like me, but for him in this city, like he didn't have anybody that, and for some reason that was safe for him, not for some reason, but something I didn't understand. He was so excited to tell you about it. Yeah. Um, so we had this interesting thing where um, our whole staff at our church, our church uh, is, has diversity, but it's Guelph and uh, our no, I'm not, I'm not saying, saying that as an excuse, I'm saying, but our, so I'll, I'll just be honest, our whole staff is white. So it's interesting in the midst of all the, the Black Lives Matter protests and all the conversations about race. And as we were engaging with that, um, I remember chatting with staff and also myself feeling like, this is so crazy how terrified we are to say the wrong thing. And everything's on the internet. We're posting things, we're podcasting. And I remember we're just chatting as white folk, right? We're just like, Oh my gosh, this is so stressful. What if we say the wrong thing? And so I'm kind of debriefing my day with Trefina. And Trefina's like kind of comical, but so 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 gentle with me. She could have been so, much less gracious, but she was like, Oh, like you're concerned about how the things that you say will be perceived because of your skin color. She's like, and that's probably the first time in your life you've ever had to do that. She said, Welcome to a colored person's life every day. Yeah. And that was such a mind blowing. And I, I shared that with our staff and it was just so eye opening for, you know, our, our white fragility, so to speak. Um, but to realize like my kids will enter every environment aware that they're often the other and aware of their race and how they're being perceived and what their actions and all that stuff. And so uh, for me, it's been kind of coming to grips with that and even just trying to have a posture of listening and understanding and learning because I, I don't have a context for it. Um, so yeah, that's been, you know, just as I've been kind of journeying in the last little while, my big kind of aha moment, so to speak. Mm, thanks for sharing that. You know, your kids 10 years from now will, will talk with their friends and they'll say, my dad is a white guy. Yeah. My mom is brown. Yeah. That'll, that'll be a defining part of their projection of themselves when they talk about themselves, when they situate themselves. You're the white guy. Uh, but your dad's not a white guy. He's just your dad, Mark. And yeah. right. Like Trifina's parents are not Brown people. They're just your parents. Yeah. And we, we get that a lot, right? Like we'll be at the park. I remember our first day in Guelph, we had a few actually encounters on our first day. It was like, this is day one. We've had a few racial conversations that were uncomfortable. Uh, but I remember, I think you went to buy our kids cupcakes because they survived the first day. And uh, Tri walked into the cupcake shop and the person asked him like, Oh, whose, whose child is that? is like Charles like it's my child but you know for some reason i don't know if you've ever been asked if you were when you were with your kids if these were your kids but that's a question that's asked regularly of us um so yeah it's just an interesting dynamic and our kids see that they're aware of everything I'll take a quick break to thank uh, two groups of people today, all of my Patreon supporters. You folks make this show possible. There's a whole bunch of really wonderful, loyal people who sew into this show every month, whether they're giving $3 or $50 a month. They uh, underwrite all that I'm doing, and they're such a source of encouragement to me. Thank you to Chris, who is my latest patron. 
uh, you guys, if you want to join the show, help out and uh, just have closer access to me and, and know the things that are going on as well as getting early access to my books, you can go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. The other group of people who I do want to thank is the ones who have already pre-ordered my book. I've got a whole bunch of people emailing me their pre-order receipts because uh, that's the way that they get in on the bonuses. And I'm, I've been floored at the response so far. So honored, so touched. So thankful for all of you who are buying this book already, who've downloaded the sample and are sending me, you know, your thoughts, how it's already touching you. Uh, I forgot to mention that at the beginning. If you want to download a free sample of the book, you can do that as well at jonathanpuddle.com. And yeah, I mean, some somebody the other day uh, bought 10 copies uh, and, and sent me the list of all the people that they want them signed for. And I'm like, that's just wild. Uh, <laughs> I'm I don't know how to respond. So I'm deeply touched on. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's get back to the show. And they're always building meaning, right? Because that's what children do. Yeah. And my daughter, this is going to just sound insensitively comical, but the point is kids are constantly building meaning. She was discussing recently with some of her friends in the car while we were driving to the beach about all the kids were talking about divorce and about grandparents. Grandparents was the major topic of conversation. And the fact that my parents are divorced came up because they're my kids' grandparents on my side don't live together. And my daughter said, I think they got divorced because of dogs. I think <laughs> it's because uh, my dad's dad really likes dogs. And I don't think my Nana likes dogs. And so my dad's dad has three dogs now. And I think that's why they got divorced. And uh, love it. And I was snickering in the front seat. And then James, my eldest, was sitting in the passenger seat beside me and under his breath said, that wasn't the reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I died. <laughs> but... Uh, to share a, a far more painfully embarrassing anecdote of my children, I remember living in Finland, a very white monoculture, and just across the other side of the street from us were uh, some lower income housing, and there were some immigrant families, and uh, specifically refugee families from Africa. And I remember one day, my son was probably four, and came running into the house raced in the door and said there's bad guys outside yeah. and I had to go and examine the situation I didn't know what what that meant and it was just dark-skinned people and it was probably the first time he'd ever really seen someone or, or at least again noticed um, and so you know we had a conversation around that and then when we moved back to Toronto we actually that was part of the reason I mean, we loved Finland, but but that kind of encounter was like something like, well, we're not, obviously we can have these conversations with our children, but this is not a the kind of cultural milieu we would like our children to grow up within. And so moving back to Canada was was wrapped up in that. I remember we could see from our balcony on our apartment, we could see the schoolyard of our kids' school from, from up at the height. We were like 15 stories up. And James's red hair, you could just see him running around the schoolyard because he was the only one. And in his first week, he gravitated to the only other white boy who happened to have blonde hair and blue eyes. And I'm like, well, he found the Finnish kid, basically, <laughs> uh, in his class. Yeah. And so you know, they, they certainly notice, right? And, they, and they're always building narratives of meaning and is this because of this and this must be because of this. I mean, it's absurd to me that my daughter thinks my parents divorced because of dogs. <laughs> it's abs Surely it, it's, it's simply absurd that Mark would have any measure of preference between the two children, let alone due to race, let alone due to perceived shading of skin color, but to, uh, I, I don't know if this is just like constantly the problem as parents, but the things that are so absurd to us have, have made logical sense to our child. Yeah. They, they are the output of some kind of mental, emotional process, and they may not hold on to them for long, 
but it's part of their whole putting themselves in the world. And how do you then um, come to that with compassion and delicateness and truth? Um, at this point, I'm not going to tell my daughter that the reason my parents are divorced is because my dad is gay. My 11-year-old son knows and understands. How, how do you reset into those moments, you know, where you're making cookies and all of a sudden you have to have a really delicate conversation or do you just shelve it for later? I mean, how does that play out? <laughs> if I'm gut level honest, often when that comes up, I, I go, try, try Fina. You're not that bad. No, it's, uh, I think we've erred on this side of honesty and just talking it out at an age appropriate level. Um, but even, you know, as I've watched you try, just have some of the, you know, I'm amazed at how many books you've been able to find and not easily. So, so it's quite difficult to find books on race and representation and talking about some of the struggles and even things like shadism and all that. But, um, so then that, that leads to questions. Um, but you have honest conversations with our kids about things in history that have happened, things that are still going on. Um, I think you've just leaned into that and I think that's been, been good and, and healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're just, we desire to be as honest as we can with them. Um, we have a friend that gave us a, some really good advice. And they're like, anytime your child asks why, because let's be honest, our children are always asking why. Always. She's like, ask them why they think it is. And so we've done a lot of turning it back on them. There's a lot of like, Holy Spirit, I need your help. And you know what? Sometimes like the thought is so fleeting to them. It comes in and then they're, they're on to the next thing. Right. So sometimes it's a small conversation that like this week I said, we did a date individually with each kid and then a longer conversation came up about a certain topic, but it doesn't always come up in that moment. It might just be like a small moment, a small um, answer. But our biggest thing with both of our kids, and like we've talked about this, is I'm like, if our kids know that they are loved, that I feel like that's what we want them to walk out of our home with. That they're loved by us, they're loved by God, and everything else they're going to figure out. So in the moment, I'm like, okay, is it a moment that I need to remind you that you are super loved? Do we need to call your papa and like just FaceTime him to make sure that you know that you're loved? Okay, we can come back to the rest of it later so that's kind of been our big thing is this is this a moment where they just need to know they're loved is this a moment where they just need to hug mm. also right now they're they're quite young right so yeah three three and five that's really wise i like that uh is this a moment where they just need to know that they're loved i feel like i am definitely like okay i sense you're spinning out let's come and have a hug come and have a hug and then is there actually a problem here or are you tired? Are you hungry? Are you? It's usually that they're tired or hungry. That's at least for me. <laughs> that's for me. That's I usually need, that's Mark's problem. need food and a hug from drinking. <laughs> but for children, that's. <laughs> oh my goodness. I've watched same skin color couples, but from different cultural backgrounds, really struggle, you know, five years, 10 years into their marriage, realizing this was a bigger deal than we realized when we got married. Um, people from England marrying Canadians, people from England marrying uh, mainland Europeans, um, cultures that uh, even myself, who's had a lot of interplay with a lot of different, especially white cultures, uh, would say, ah, there's, there's plenty in common or there's not that much difficulty. But I've been, I've, I've had cause before to say maybe there just should be no intercultural marriage. It's just too difficult. Like I've had that temptation to feel that way before. Um, less so in my own marriage because because I am I am a blend of all cultures. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I have no cultural identity anymore, so I can't complain. But um, I mean, you guys have been married for for more than a minute now. How how is it different now than early on 
Yeah. So uh, we've been married 10 years, which we celebrated 10 years in the midst of COVID. And I had this amazing around the world cruise. Don't even, don't listen to anything. Do not listen to Mark. That I had to, oh. I had booked it two years in advance. Oh, I'm such my, advanced. A- <laughs> now imagine. Um, so, so I forgot the question. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> what a waste. Should, should people be in interracial marriage? Is that the question? You've been married 10 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it, are, there, are there things that you bump into that are different today? I mean, you've already vocalized, Mark, that you're more aware now, perhaps, of things that you weren't aware of. Totally. There's things that you uh, maybe realize more about your marriage and, and, and to do with race and to do with uh, all this stuff now that maybe you, you know, shrugged off earlier on. Oh, you guys are in love. Ah, no big deal. Uh, all of our friends are in mixed race, mixed race marriages. That's a good question. The ten years on, you're sitting there going. Turns out we keep bumping into this one thing over and over again that I never anticipated. I mean, maybe maybe none of those things are to do with race. That's fine. Just interested. Thinking, I yeah. will I yeah, will please. tell you that Mark hates that I am consistently late, but that is a cultural thing. So if you want to, we have okay. Wait, wait, wait. Can we just solve this? Because maybe you can get your listeners to do a poll. Okay, if you invite us for dinner at six thirty, just just hypothetical, um, I, <laughs> I expect to be there at six thirty. And Trifita, now listen to Trifita's explanation because it's 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 gonna blow your mind. Go ahead. It's babe. brilliant. I will not show up at your house till six forty-five, especially if you have kids, because there is no, well, sorry, you could possibly be ready. I would not be ready, and I would hope that you would give me the grace to like be fifteen minutes late. And when so Trivia is like the most loving thing we can do is show up 15 minutes late because it gives them grace. It's like it's like she's offering them grace by being late. This is- madness! Madness! Which <laughs> <laughs> is hilarious because then my mom will be like, dinner's at 4:30. And we'll show up at 4:40 and everyone at the table looking at us, like, what what are you doing? <laughs> okay, don't show up late for your family. And- <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe the one consistent argument okay, we have. seriously. But okay, no, in all serious, or wait, were you going to have something no, serious? No, no, no. Okay, she just wanted to rouse me. Um, I actually, I don't, I feel like the biggest thing, I used to do premarital a lot in my previous role as a pastor uh, at a different, um, it was a smaller church. And so for me, it was the value set that was most critical for couples. Race is such a big thing. Pete Cesaro talks about that all the time, right? Racial reconciliation. Rich Villadas, I think you've had him on so much good stuff there. But um, the values, like I think Try and I, we had the same values. We were serving in the same ministries, volunteering, and, you know, same mentality about the same neighborhood we felt called the reach. Like, any of that, like, uh, in a sense, uh, a desire to listen to the same voice. But in some ways, that I, I don't feel like there's things we continue to bump up against. There's a lot of unity in that. Not that things have been easy, no, but you're right. Like I no. think our base has been like our, our, what brought us together and our heart for what we want to see happen in the world is, has stayed the same. Um, I do. I remember like we were in the States a few years ago after we were like just married on vacation and they did a recap of all of their um, sermons from the previous year. And one of them had been, well, should you be allowed to have an interracial marriage? Is it biblical? And I remember being so like dumbfounded that that was a conversation that was still happening because it hadn't been our experience. But if I look at our marriage, I think, you're right. I think so much of like what Pete Scazzaro has offered in terms of, Pete and Jerry Scazzaro have offered in terms of like emotional health and going back and looking yeah. um, at our walk and our faith and our values and how much of that is based on our family of origin and our culture of origin. Yeah, um, and having to like walk that down, break that down in terms of like, how we view money, how we view like our sexuality, how we view like all of that. Um, and I, I think having done, we did a really intense premarital and that's the one I would lead couples through after I was married and, and pastoring. And they went after that stuff um, from before we were married. And so, cause I think you can have two Caucasians, same background and you can have socioeconomic difference or just family difference, you know, and um, they're going to struggle massively as well. So I just, yeah. I think there were struggles, but I think those were really healthy things to have gone through early on. I think specifically, um, I'm processing this, but I was just talking to your wife about this. Um, I've realized in the last 10 years that we've been married, though, race has come up, 
but not to the same degree that, that it has in the last couple months. But in that, I think I've realized I have never shared with Mark up until now, like my insecurities around my color and my race and, oh, well, if I say that, I'm just gonna look like the crazy brown woman. You know what I mean? Like um, that I'm always tempering what I do. And it's like the constant like dialogue in my brain. And I just, it was something I just never thought to share. It wasn't that I was intentionally not. Um, yeah, it blew my mind how much, like I, I'd say we were really like very, we know everything. And I learned things about my wife. I never knew this past summer as we went through all the different racial tensions all around the world. And it was front of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was mind blowing to me. Like I can't believe I was learning. Like and not just like oh I didn't know that you know in grade three you did that on the playground. Like this was like big things that you'd carried through your whole life that um, just real like more my inner dialogue. Yeah, like, yeah, that I just had no clue about, which was fascinating. And I can vouch, uh, listeners, for Mark and Trefina's you know closeness and intimacy of sharing. Right, this is this is not. Uh, Mark is not like, oh, I had no idea. Well, yeah, like he's not some ignorant, uh, stupid white husband as <laughs> we are you. so often portrayed on television. Thank you, television. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was fascinating to me too this summer to kind of go through that. What was fascinating, Mark? Yeah. I th- well, I think just, no, no, some, just some of the things even we shared about, right? Yeah. Like the whole the seeing yourself as the other and just having never thought through that. Never realizing, no, 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 that's totally fine. Like, I think it's opened up conversations with your family, right? Just them kind of all sharing their experiences and kind of um, talking about that. And just me sitting there thinking, like, never had to think about that, never had to wrestle with it, never been concerned about it. Um, Yeah, like, it was, yeah, it was really eye-opening to me. Yeah, I think that's certainly... Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm not in a mixed race marriage uh, at all, but certainly, I, it seems like all of us white people are having that conversation in terms of it's our turn to sit down and listen, right? Uh, I remember, you know, you'd said earlier that whole like uh, white people were so nervous not to say the wrong thing. Christina Cleveland had a piece where she was like, yeah, all these white people are nervous to not say the wrong thing. And all these black people are just trying not to get killed. Yeah, like, this, this is not apples to apples. Yeah. And I remember going, oh, wow. Yeah. I feel really nervous to not say the wrong thing. And now I feel like I've said the wrong thing. <laughs> um, I'm really interested to, to, I, I don't, I don't know that anyone can forecast this, but what, fruit comes you know even just in the next three or four years culturally even in your guys marriage and your guys families like you've just learned mark over the last few months a whole new realm of trefina's inner dialogue you've had conversations with family that you just never had before i mean i think hopefully most of us are having these conversations that we've never had before you know what are some of the dividends that will reap obviously hopefully we you know obvious high water tolerance uh no more murder uh police brutality that would be great um i'm fascinated even just just at a just a solely relational level what it looks like um i don't know i'm just i'm just thinking i'm talking out i'm just words are coming out of my mouth did you want to go love you yeah i think yeah and I'm, i'm still processing this but it has it has already begun to shape the way that I engage in dialogue with people I disagree with. Um, whether that's about cultural issues, whether that's theological, and my line of work, there'll be a lot of theological disagreements. Um, so we, we talked about that, it's kind of a, a rabbit trail, but we were at that uh, Black Lives Matter protest and uh, uh, I, I got some flack from some people who were like, you know, um, I heard you were at that protest. I heard someone gave a speech and they spoke about this and clearly you can't be on board with this. So how could you go? Right. Like, and uh, I processed that for a bit. Cause I remember even being there and hearing that speech. Cause there's, there's many speeches and, and, and there, there's no one voice for one culture. Right. So you have so many different people sharing different perspectives, very different perspectives. And uh, I just remember chatting with a few people. And then I, my, my response was um, I've come to the conclusion that, to listen to someone, 
I don't have to agree with them. In fact, I can't genuinely listen to them if I've already made up my mind about what they're saying. Um, it's changed completely the way that I engage with people on all issues um, that I even perceive that I may not agree with them on because to say you don't get a voice unless I agree with you already is, is ridiculous. It's, it's not Jesus-like. Um, and so there's already been a posture in me, and this has come up just on different issues in, in the workplace. Um, you know, someone shared uh, a concern with me, but did it quite angrily. And I was really upset that they did it angrily. Um, and it was, it was an issue of gender and gender inequality. Um, and so I was, I was kind of hurt and pulled back and intervened and are you going to ignore what they said because you maybe don't think that they shared it with the right uh, appropriate um, posture in the same way that often we've been like, well, if you know, people are yelling about it and they're angry, then we write them off. Um, Jesus flipped some tables, <laughs> right? Like I'm just, so it, you know, went back and, and just actually just validated like, Hey, here, here's what I'm hearing. Here's what I'm, I'm learning. So it's really changed my posture because I, if I didn't like the way you said it, if you didn't say it in a gentle, respectful manner or what I deem gentle and respectful, I wasn't listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote you off or if I didn't agree. And I'm, I'm now learning like to just listen is actually one of the most caring things. Uh, yeah, in fact, actually, can I go on a tangent of a tangent? It was at, you probably remember this at the protest. There was a woman sharing, um, I forget her name. And someone started screaming in the middle, interrupted her and just, and I could tell from what she was sharing and what this person was screaming that they disagreed. And I'll never forget, instead of, you know, telling the person to be quiet or, you know, preachers, we're ready for people who speak out of turn. And we always, you know, have a gentle way. She just turned and paused and she looked at this person and, and she just waited and she said, I, I hear you. I hear. And that's, I think that was the significant shift moment for me that then changed everything I just explained. It was because of that woman's posture, which was, um, I'm listening and I hear you as a, a human being created in the image of God. I'm listening to your heart, your heart cry. Um, and that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. So that's what's shifting. I mean, in me a few months into this, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think so much is shifting in our culture. I think in a, in a sad way, even if you look at commercials now, right? Like all of a sudden in like two months, there are people of color in your commercials and Pampers has like an interracial family in their ad and like this and that. And, and I get that it's a marketing ploy and it frustrates me because I'm like, you've had these people there all along and all of a sudden now you're bringing them out. Um, but at the same time, it is change. And I love that change is happening and representation is happening. I think so like we're, we're in the church world so much and I think it's causing us as Christians to question everything we do. There's been such a white perspective on our faith and on Jesus and on our theology and the theologians we've read and we've listened to. And so one of the big things like Mark's been really passionate about is like, well, okay, even if we're studying different theologians, are we studying theologians who are people of color who've had different experiences because your understanding of even what Jesus taught and the way that he spoke about different socioeconomic groups is different based on your cultural upbringing. Yeah. I, can I speak yeah, to that? I was, I was challenged. So I'm, I'm a teaching pastor. So uh, like regularly reading commentaries and theologians, and I, I just got challenged a few months ago by someone who just said, like, look at your shelf and see how many white Europeans you have speaking into it. And he basically just said, if you don't have marginalized groups and people, um, and in fact, the poor speaking, uh, you're actually missing out. And he gave some fantastic examples of ways in which white Europeans have preached certain texts of Jesus. And then he shared how, um, you know, Latinos would preach the same text, which was very different. Um, and it blew my mind and it's been shifting my, my views for, for that have been one way for so long. So yeah, it's, yeah, that's a good, I forgot about that. Thanks. I remember at the protest, I forget her name. I was just trying to look it up while you were, you were speaking there. I think she would, might've been the founder or one of the founders of the Guelph Black Heritage Society. Um, but uh, I remember that. I hear you. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't get those words out of my, my mind. Like for a week, I was just, it was powerful. I felt very privileged to, you know, kind of attend that and, and kind of just sit there and be quiet. And how was it, how was it having your kids at, at, at the protest and, and that experience for you guys? Go ahead, Lynn. No, go ahead. 
I mean, protests are loud and busy. I mean, it was my first time at a protest myself. It was my first time having my kids there. I was, I didn't totally know what to expect, but it's, I had filed this. I didn't. Yeah. And isn't it funny how, like, I don't know if you felt this, I felt really nervous going. Um, I wasn't sure what to do. I didn't, and again, that's the white fragility piece, right? Like, totally. like, what are you really worried about? Right? Like, um, I remember when Trefina told me, she's like, there's a Black Lives Matter protest happening this weekend. Um, and, uh, I remember she like, I think, I think you hit the, like, I'm going on Facebook and we like literally had like a little thing. Like, I was like, wait, 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 like, did you say you're interested or you're going like, wait, wait, you made that public. Like you're going like, who are these people? What do they represent? Like, oh I was so like, it was so interesting to me how nervous I was that like, it's a public thing. Like, you know, in ministry, we're always like, well, what do you, what are you supporting publicly and all that stuff? And she's just like, Mark there's a protest happening to declare that black lives matter in our city and I'm taking our kids. And I was like, Oh dang. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We are going. Yeah. Mic drop. Right. Like, um, but it was like, like leading up to that, I was nervous. The whole, and that's, that's wild to say, but I was nervous. Um, I was telling try, I'm like, because it was COVID, everyone was wearing masks. Like I was telling her, like, I felt glad cause I just, I was so uncomfortable and out of my element i'm like i'm glad i kind of get to hide a little bit um it's just that's just gut level honest things that we shared that night kind of as we're debriefing but i'm like uh that's what it was for me yeah i think it was neat taking the kids it was awesome i was so glad we had we went back and forth because it was covid they did the oldest is great with the masks the youngest was whatever it was the first time we pulled out the stroller in like two years but we're like you are going to sit down and they ended up walking for most of it um they like the speeches i think were harder for them but the actual protest and the marching and the like our kids don't even walk to the next street to go to the park yet they walked with a sign for kilometers it was unreal it was beautiful to see them like have a sense of purpose and come back and talk about it like and i was i was nervous like how are they going to feel around the loud environment and like there's yelling and they were like right in there um And like I was saying earlier, like so much of the content has been internalized in a way that we couldn't have done. I still want to be part of a culture where I feel like I'm so, this is a whole tangent, but I'm so tired of cancel culture. I'm so tired of how we complain about things and just get rid of people. But I want them to be people. I want our kids to be people. I want us to be people who see problems and then go after fixing it. Like, how are we going to do something to make this world better? And protesting is an active way they can do it. So I think we, it was just cool to see them be part of that and to kind of begin to deposit those seeds into their yeah. their hearts. So, yeah, it was it was cool. Yeah, overall, it was a good experience. Thank you, guys. This has been so so good. Uh, wonderful to hear all these bits and pieces, um, including some of these hard and you know kind of heartbreaking things that our kids wrestle with. Any other thoughts or uh, or some of those books that you've been reading, resources, things that uh, you want to leave us with? I'm reading White Fragility, which is fantastic. Um, I feel like it's just a great like beginner's guide. Um, in terms of the kids, like we're currently reading the Little People Big Dream series, and they're loving biographies. Um, there's a there's one that's called like Let's Talk About Race, which has been fantastic, or just. My big thing is like not every book needs to be about race for kids, but let's at least have books that are have representation, right? Like it doesn't all need to be like, you need to go march, but let's just, these are real people that look different or look like you and they do real people things. Yeah, yeah. Like not every book needs to be Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr., although we have those. But I think it was neat the other day, Trevina bought a, a Bible. You talk often about the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, and so Tri found one that was, t- it was all about the Bible stories of the power of the spirit. Um, and so she's really excited about that. Um, but our son flipped through it and he's like, mama, why'd you buy this book? It's all white people. Uh, and I was like, yes. Right. Because Tri has been working so hard to just say like, where, where often it was actually, it's all boys. So where are the females um, and it, or it's all white people. So but it's a spe- it was specifically in biblical times. Like why was it all like yeah, portrayed as white exactly people? white white or blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. Like, how does that make sense for a Middle Eastern? Uh, so it's been really neat to, uh, 
you know, Trifina just kind of goes through her house and gets rid of every blonde haired Jesus. But no, absolutely. I remember when I ran the bookstore at the church in Toronto, some one of the pastors had recommended from the front the Golden Children's Bible, which was, yeah, you're pointing to your, like we all read, like it's a classic. And, um, (laughs) and, and I just kind of was like, uh, you know what? You talked about how good it was and that you grew up with it. I'm already suspicious. And uh, the girl who was running our purchasing was a good friend of mine and she's Latina. And she looked it up online and she's like, oh, hell no. That book is not coming in to my store. (laughs) Yeah, I remember because I was talking to that pastor and they recommended it. And I love them and I love the way they walk out their faith with their kids. I was like, great, let me look this up. And then I opened the Bible and I was like, yeah. You know, know what's funny is this probably for being a white person, let me speak to the white people. This sounds like, oh, that's just, you're just, you know, these are little details. Uh, When Trefina shared the story of, um, mama, I want to be light like Papa. He then listed all the white people. And one of them, he said, and like Jesus is white. Like, and the books in our house, Jesus is not white. Yeah. But in but just in, you know, goes to different people's houses, goes to like he had that idea. Like it does impact things. And so um I'd say, yeah, I think you've done a great job of building a library that just shows all different cultures. So yeah. Too many nice things here. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. <laughs> You're amazing. Guys, this has been this has been rich. Uh would you would you both uh pray for us? as we seek to integrate and become sensitive and listen and raise sensitive listening children. Lord, if this audience is anything like the Jesus people that I've encountered over and over again, there's just such a desire to understand more, to love more, to care more. Uh, And so Lord, may we not be people who only love the way we receive love, but would seek to actually give love in a way that is received as love. Uh, And that means doing work that is understanding of different cultures, races, um, genders, identities. Um, Would you just grow our listening posture so we can uh, be radical lovers of people, radical lovers of your children, um, that they may know we are your disciples. So thanks, Lord, for this conversation, for what you're teaching us and growing us. And may we continue to grow and learn um, together. Holy Spirit, I just, I thank you for the way that you are moving in our world. God, I I thank you that you walk along so many of your children who are just walking in so much pain. And it breaks your heart to see the pain that they're walking in. Thank you, God, that your heart is for, for freedom. Like you say, it is freedom that you've come. And so it's for freedom for each and every person, regardless of race, color, um, gender, identity, whatever that looks like, Father. So I thank you that you are for us and you mourn with us. I thank you for this moment and this time in which I think conversations have come to the forefront. And so God, we just, we don't want people's lives like Brianna Taylor and George Floyd's lives to have been lost in vain. And so God, we just, we, we just declare it a moment where, sh- where shift is happening, um, where enough is enough. And Spirit, would you just give us a heart to see your heart in each and every one of your children, just which are the people on this earth so God, Because I know your heart is in each and every one of us and we're rep- like you are represented in the different ethnicities and genders and identities. And so Jesus, we want to be people who love you well and who love your people well in your name amen amen Thank you guys. So wonderful having uh, Mark and Trifina on the show. You can uh, learn more about their church at lakesidechurch.ca and you can catch uh, lots of Mark's sermons there. He had me preach there last summer. It was a really fun experience. Such an honor. Uh, Friends, uh, I will be back next week. I've got a whole bunch of amazing guests lined up for you. Some very uh, deep, painful, meaningful, life-changing conversations are coming your way. 
So stay, stay tuned, stay subscribed, tell a friend about the show. If you want to help me out and become part of the team, go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. If you want to pre-order my book, uh, my devotional, that is trauma-informed contemplative spirituality, body and breath work, meditation, uh, enneagram, all rolled into one easy-to-digest package that I believe will totally change your life. Head to jonathanpuddle.com and click on books, click on You Are Enough, and you can uh, pre-order it from all the major retailers. God bless, farewell, grace and peace to you. I'll see you next week.